and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Robert Elliott asks us to consider and believe and know that Jesus Christ is indeed God and man, and that we will be reconciled and presented blameless before God. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. If Christ is being formed in us, and I hope that he is, then we will never think that Christ is only a man. But we rather will consider Jesus Christ to be God and man. You'll meet people this week, this month, this year, who think Jesus Christ was a fine teacher, a fine philosopher, a fine rabbi, and they won't believe for one second that he's also God. We must believe he's both. Fifth, Christ is the peacemaker for sinners. The only peacemaker for sinners. Verses 20 to the first part of 22. And through him, Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Jesus Christ is peacemaker, reconciler between rebels like us who are sinners and a holy God. And Jesus Christ is the only peacemaker that God will ever provide. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the children of God. And so there's some beautiful words in play in verses 20 to 22a. Listen, reconcile, peace, the blood of his cross, reconciled, holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Let me just say, for those of you who reconcile your bank statement with your checkbook, that's not the kind of reconciliation that Jesus Christ achieved. The kind of reconciliation that Jesus Christ achieved was not coming halfway, but coming all the way to us when we couldn't get to him. Coming all the way to us in our state of rebellion and sin and vile heartedness. God came in grace, came in mercy, came in love all the way to us when we couldn't and wouldn't come to him. And of course, we all are in desperate need of reconciliation. I hope we'll never forget that because the Christian who forgets that they are in desperate need of reconciliation to God becomes a mute and silent witness for Christ. But the Christian who understands that he or she is constantly in need of reconciliation with God, only Jesus Christ made that reconciliation possible, that Christian is verbal and vocal with the gospel. Have you been verbal and vocal with the gospel this past week, this past month, this past year? When Christ is being formed in you, you tell others about Christ as the reconciler that God's provided for them. What we're seeing by way of quick recap of the whole passage starting at verse 15, listen, Christ is God's visible image, the firstborn of creation, the start of everything, the owner of everything, eternal, the sustainer of creation, the CEO of the church, the prototype of bodily resurrection, the ultimate authority, the fullness of the Father, and the peacemaker for us sinners. And last, at least in this passage, 
Christ is the certainty of our glorification. Middle of 22. In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Jesus Christ is the certainty of you being glorified. Jesus Christ is the Assurance that one day you will be made to be like God because you will see God face to face. We shall be made to be like Jesus when we see him. That's glorification. And would you not say that this paragraph in the original language, Colossians 1, 15 to 23, is Mount Everest and the air atop of this mountain where we stand right now is rarefied. It's special air. Just like climbers of Everest need oxygen because they're way up there and the air up there is thin, we believers, when we climb in our understanding of the sheer height of our Savior, recognize that we can go no higher than Jesus. He's the peak. There's nothing to climb higher beyond him to see. He's the peak of the mountain. And the air up here is rarefied. It's unique air. It's holy air. It's blameless air. It's beyond reproach air. And what it says about us one day being those things, made to be holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, reminds us of the great benediction in the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So let me wrap this up. Do you see in verse 23 that it begins with an if? If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast. There are different kinds of ifs in the Greek language. This is not an if of uncertainty. This instead is an if that is assuming it is so. This is not an if which is up for grabs. This is an if that has an exclamation mark. We could translate this if as assuming indeed. Let me read it that way with you. Assuming indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. In other words, because Jesus Christ has reconciled you and because Christ will be presenting you to his Father, wholly blameless, therefore it is assumed that you will continue in the faith, that you will be established in the faith, that you'll be steadfast in the faith, that you will not be moved from the gospel which you heard. And so when Christ is being formed in you in light of the certainty of glorification that Jesus makes, when Christ is being formed in you, then you long for that. There's a believer in our church that every time I ask him how he's doing, almost every time he says, longing for Christ. Aches, pains, Sin, frustration, trial. How are you? Longing for Christ. Christ is being formed in the person with that attitude. I want you to picture the Outback Steakhouse. Beth and I like to go there. 
one of our sisters in Christ works there as a hostess. I want you to imagine at the Outback Steakhouse next Saturday night that a person rides a horse into the restaurant. Someone rides this horse into the Outback Steakhouse, and do you know what you see there? Supreme power. There is no human being in the restaurant when the horse walks in that has more power than the horse. But the horse does not have supreme authority. Because seated on this horse is a skilled rider, and the horse has a bit and a bridle, and the horse has reins, and the horse understands voice commands from its rider. Jesus Christ has both the supreme power and the supreme authority. The horse only had the supreme power. He did not have the supreme authority. But Jesus Christ has both the supreme power and the supreme authority. He's exalted. Would you bow with me? It could be that you're here this morning and the Spirit of God is impressing upon you that not only is Jesus Christ the supreme one, but that there may be ways that you've not been living as though he is. Maybe there's someone here this morning who needs to say for the first time to God, I'm saved, but I want to live under the lordship of Christ as a saved person. Or maybe there's someone here this morning who has understood the lordship of Christ previously, but the cares and concerns of this world have choked off that person's response to the lordship of Christ. I would like you from where you sit to silently pray about this. If you could honestly say that you are living under the lordship of Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. In this time of silent prayer, you thank him for his grace that is making that possible. If you have never acknowledged the lordship of Jesus Christ, maybe you've not even saved Run to him for salvation. Trust him alone to be your savior from sin. And maybe you're a Christian who's run to Christ for salvation but never understood the legitimate claims that the Lord Jesus makes on your life. In the silence given to you in a moment, would you just simply tell Christ that you want to come under his authority and everything? And now, today's personal God story. Good morning, my name is Michael Roker, and today I just want to share with you my personal salvation story, how I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church as a kid regularly. Uh, I went to a Bible-believing school, and I considered myself to be a Christian. Later on, as I became a teenager and eventually started to make my own decisions, I started to go with the crowd and I strayed away from the faith. I considered the Bible just to be a set of rules that hindered me from having fun. And so I started to do my own thing and find my own way and, and find my own happiness. So I started getting into different things. I started going out to the clubs and partying and getting involved and women and drinking and even in the drugs and that carried on from in my teenage years into my early adulthood and I did these things uh, for my own pleasure and enjoyment and happiness and um, I thought that was the way as time went on I continued in this lifestyle thinking it would make me happy 
and fulfilled, but it was the actual opposite. Um, I found that I started to feel uh, empty. I started to feel lonely and, and guilty for all the decisions that I was making in my life. The more I indulged, the worse it became. Uh, so what I tried to do for myself was I started to look into different ways of curing this. So I looked into something, things beyond the physical. I, I started searching spirituality. I was looking for meaning in my life and purpose and pretty much to fill the emptiness that I had. I started looking at different religions. I started looking into anything metaphysical. I even tried to do meditation, but nothing filled that void. Nothing worked. This left me feeling more empty than ever. And I remember one night I was in my room and I was sitting down and I thought I tried everything. I did all that I could do. I was pretty much at my end. I was at rock bottom. There was nothing else I could do. I, I tried everything. I tried searching. I tried to find my own happiness, but it just, it just did not work out. I was, I was drawn a blank. And so the last thing I could think of, of course, was a prayer. So I reached out to God and I prayed and I asked him, I said, God, if you really do exist, if you are real, then show me who you are. I want to know the truth. I really just, I tried everything on my own and it's not working. So I really want to know who you are and I would, I just want to know the truth. And I begged him that night just to show me who he really was. I knew that I couldn't rely on myself anymore because that failed. So I just asked him to show me who he was. Not too far after that, maybe a few weeks, an uncle of mine who was living in the United States for a very long time, he moved back to the Bahamas. And I connected with him and hung out with him for a bit uh, just to catch up from when he was living in the Bahamas. And one thing that I noticed was that um, he had a relationship with Jesus. So he would start talking to me about Jesus and um, about God and the Bible and I found interest in that and I started to observe him and I noticed that he had a, a strong love for Jesus and he had a reverence for him. He respected him, he loved him, and he had a strong devotion toward Jesus Christ. And um, that attracted me to look back into Jesus again and who he really was. And so I started to study the Bible with him, I started to pray with him, have a lot of conversations about Christianity and about the faith. Also at the same time, a co-worker of mine, she started a Bible study at my work with a few of the co-workers there every Tuesday and Thursday, I think. And so I joined that. And um, it was just a, a short Bible study, about a half an hour during our lunchtime, every Tuesday and Thursday. And so I found that to be a, a help as well. However, one day after the Bible study, the leader who was a pastor, he asked me to meet up with him at Starbucks. And so I thought there was no harm in that, so I, I did that. I met up with him, and we started talking, and he really challenged me about my personal uh, relationship with Jesus. Um, I was I was kind of taken aback by this uh, because I know I believed that Jesus existed. I believe that he died, rose again, but I never really had that personal relationship with him. After that, for a few weeks, I just started studying with uh, this pastor, the Word of God, and I was really challenged to think about what Jesus meant in my life. And so I really struggled for a while there because of all the things that I've done. I didn't think that Jesus would really accept me for all the bad things that I've done, all the bad decisions I've made, and basically who I was. But going back into the Bible and, and looking at his promises, I realized that um, he died for me. He had so much love for me that no matter all the things I've done, he died so that 
I can have a relationship with him and that I can be forgiven. And he took the punishment that I was supposed to receive, and he loved me so much that he did that for me. And so that's the motivation that, that um, I decided to uh, trust in him, trust what he did for me, and to devote uh, myself to him. So I completely surrendered to him uh, during those weeks. After that, I just got back into studying the Bible. Following that, I started to look for a church. I went around to a few different churches, and I finally landed here at Calvary Bible Church, where I got baptized, and um, I was welcomed in by everybody in the church, and I started some Bible studies with the men, started to learn more about my faith. A little later on, I started to get involved in some of the youth ministries here, which was great as well. And just seeing how God reached out to me and what He's done for me uh, made, made such a huge impact in my life. You know, I, I trusted on myself and I trusted in what I could do for myself to get happiness. But I realized now that I had to place my trust in Christ and who He was in order to fill that void. And so I just want to say, if you've never made that personal decision today to put your faith in Him, if you think you've done so much wrong that He won't forgive you, He always will. He's loved you that much that He died for your sins, that you may be forgiven today. I would invite you today to make that decision if you never have, because He loves you and He will always pursue you. So in that, I just want to thank you for listening to my personal testimony, and God bless. And now, help for the hurting. Good morning, church. When I was asked to speak about my experience at the Christian Counseling Center, a lot of thoughts ran through my mind. The first was no. The second, no. The third, yes, no. <laughs> the thought was, well, are you embarrassed or ashamed that you went? I had to stop and think, why don't you want to talk about it? In this country, counseling is not seen as an option. But why was I going to say no? No to talking about an experience that was the best thing I ever did to take care of me. I remember all the comments that were made by some of my family and friends when I said I was going. And these are people who love me. There's nothing wrong with your life. You're making yourself unhappy. You're never going to get better. They want your money. <laughs> talk to your friends. Stop wasting money. Why do you want to talk about these things? Why are you such a big crybaby? Why can't you just get over it? You're just dramatic. I am. Have you ever been at the arrival terminal of the airport and seen a big trolley stacked high, taller than me? Bags, boxes, suitcases, coolers, Walmart shopping bags with stuff sticking out of it, stuff wrapped in plastic, like just about to explode, big and small bags. I know you've all seen that trolley. And we've all watched it and wonder what's in those bags, how many people were shopping, what are they doing? And then we watch the trolley move up to the customs officer with the help from the porter and the people who the bags belong to. The bags would be placed on the belt. The custom officer would start inspecting each bag. When I close my eyes and think about my feelings, emotion, and desires, I see that baggage trolley. Unlike the trolley at the airport, you can't see mine and I can't see yours. And when the trolley gets too heavy and you need to move it, no porter is about to just appear and help you. There's no customs officer for emotional issues. 
My experience with the Christian Counseling Center started because I couldn't move my trolley. It was too heavy. On Monday, the 23rd of March, 2009, I got a call around 1 o'clock. They said, Daddy had fallen out. Meet the family at the hospital. I drove and was about to park the car when I got another call. It said, just come home. I knew what that meant. I sat on Shirley Street, listening to Joy 101.9, wanting so badly to head west. I had my passport in my purse. I had a credit card. I wanted to run away. If I didn't go home, maybe it wouldn't be real. But I headed home anyway. I pushed the trolley on the side and did the things you do when a loved one dies. A week and a half later, after many sleepless nights, thoughts of running away, thoughts of drinking, thoughts of, well, where can I get drugs from? I called the Christian Counseling Center and made an appointment for the next day. I pushed the trolley into the room, and like a custom officer, the counselor started going through the bags. One of the hardest questions was, how do you feel? At the start of the session, I couldn't even name my emotions. I couldn't identify the baggage on the trolley. I came to understand that what I was feeling was grief, and everyone deals with grief differently. Some people spend two weeks in bed crying, some drink, some quit their jobs and run away, some pretend it never happened, and some call the Christian Counseling Center and go and talk about it. That's what I did. I remember that some of the baggage on the trolley didn't belong to me. The counselor helped me. We identified what wasn't mine, and we removed it. Two examples are other people's issues and expectations. I remember thinking that if I was going to do these sessions, I was going to tell the truth. John 8:32. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There were issues that I couldn't talk about, but I was given homework, and I had to write about it. I wrote letters and some very bad poetry. <laughs> Sometimes I'd get an issue and I'd be like, but what does it have to do with, with daddy's death? I was in counseling to deal with grief, not boundary issues and anger issues, but the issues were connected. I was angry about a lot of things and at many people, myself included. The cancer that took daddy, his doctors, Joy 101.9. <laughs> They played songs that whole day about the healing power of God when he died. Myself, that morning in a rush to get to work, I didn't tell him I loved him before I left the house. I just said, bye daddy, see you later. At the Christian Counseling Center, I was able to deal with the grief and other issues in a safe environment. And slowly, I started to feel better and less burdened. On the website, there's a quote from Pastor Arnett that states, the CCC exists to help hurting people by providing professional counseling, education resources that inspire growth in relationship with God, others, self, in an accepting, caring, and confidential environment. Another quote on the site states, Individual therapy attempts to help the client examine his experiences of life with a view to the client making positive changes to improve upon an unsatisfactory situation in his life. 
I experienced all those things during my time at the Christian Counseling Center. The death of Daddy changed my view of the world, God, family, and friends. I'm happier for having gone. Grief did not lead me to any self-destructive behavior. I am thankful for the prayers the counselor prayed with me and for me, sometimes when I couldn't pray for myself. When I see my trolley now, it's neat. All the bags belong to me. And when the trolley gets too heavy to move, I make a call. I want you to take a minute, think about what your trolley looks like. If it's neat, then make a donation. <laughs> if it's not, make an appointment. And now, the Bible's answers to your questions. I have a simple, straightforward question I want to answer today, but the answer is quite lengthy. So it may be that my answer to a simple, short question will be divided into more than one broadcast. Here's the simple question. What happens to a true Christian after death? Well, in the first place, uh, that believer's soul and spirit separate from the body. Second, the soul and the spirit go to be with Christ in heaven immediately, where that soul and spirit, it would appear at least to me by inference, that they would receive an interim glorified body awaiting the glorification and resurrection of their own bodies uh, at the rapture of the church. Number three, after a believer dies, the soul, spirit, and interim glorified body enjoy heaven until the rapture of the church event. Then after that, the whole glorified believer body, soul, and spirit returns to heaven with the Lord Jesus. That whole glorified believer enjoys the Lord in heaven during the seven years of tribulation judgment taking place on the earth. Uh, believers are, during that time when a tribulation is on the earth up in heaven, believers in Christ are individually evaluated by Christ with respect to motivation and the effectiveness in bringing forth the gospel in ministry. After that comes the marriage of the Lamb. With this, it's a church event takes place in heaven, Revelation 19, verse 8 and verse 14, still with the marriage of the Lamb event taking place in heaven with the church, Philippians 3, verse 20. After that comes an event that would be easy to mix up because it's close in its name. This is, though, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb takes place on earth, includes the Jews among those at the table, believing Jews. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Luke 14, verses 16 to 24. And Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, Everyone needs a savior.